Chapter 25 Netzach, Aphrodite's Astral Sphere I wasn't even sure if I had eyes, but somehow I could see. Ever flowing and always going, I remember what it felt like to be free. In emptiness there are no limits. It was deep, but not dark like an abyss. And this dreamlike space captivated me once a naked woman stepped forth from a tub deep within the forest as her eyes met mine, where I was overtaken by bliss. I looked at her lips, then I thought about a kiss. My face went red. Such a perfect woman like her would make any man wonder, and I couldn't stop looking while I walked closer as my heart pounded like thunder. Oh me, oh my, she was too stunning for a fool like me, and so I tried to keep myself busy doing something when she waved me beside a tree. I took a look around, and there were plenty of other dreamlike beings here. Fairies frolicked all over this meadow with many other creatures that were freed by the absence of fear. Was this the Garden of Eden? It was something beyond a vivid dream. And every one of us could slip in and out of this illusion as if we were particles floating through a stream. Men and women were making love. Oh, each and every creature was caught in the epitome of delight. Why, everyone here had discovered the joy of heaven through the path of life lived right. My eyes focused in on this nude woman. I looked at her bosom when I saw she caught me staring back. I'd become seduced by her body when I watched her pull a bow from behind her back before she shot an arrow in a sudden attack. Without warning, that arrow pierced through my heart. I tried to cover the wound, but I melted when my spirit began to drift apart. Sinking into a puddle, had I died yet again? There I looked up and saw the nude woman standing over me giggling. Come on, it's been a long time, old friend, she said. What are you talking about? And why'd you shoot me with that arrow? Well, if someone doesn't cut down your ego, then you'll always be distracted by that urge called libido. I felt the lustful thoughts run over your senses, and that's why my arrow had to attack. I had to sever the situation, and my arrow created a gap so your mind could get back on track. She said. Now who or why? And what did she say? All her words seemed fairly direct and abrupt, but that arrow was lodged in my heart in some tragic mistake. But why couldn't I stop thinking about her? Granted, she was the most beautiful form, and she was right in front of my eyes. Then I felt a raindrop fall and... Rise, she said. At once I stood up, and that arrow was no longer stuck in my chest. What is this place, I wondered. You're in the astral plane, darling, and no one changes the world who isn't obsessed, she said. Obsessed? Now what on earth do you mean? We're not on earth, darling. This is a plane of existence, beyond the material world. We're in the visionary sphere, categorized by dreams, visions, and imaginative inner signs. And the reason I called you obsessed is because how else could you make it all the way here? The only way someone can descend down from the sphere of Kippereth is after you've learned to smile at fear, she said. Well, I'd been smiling this whole time, but mostly because of her amazing grace. My heart thumped along while I followed her through this forest and wooded space. And did you call me an old friend? I'm not sure I've ever seen you before. Why, I'm just a newborn spirit. You're the most beautiful goddess that every man adores. My name is Aphrodite, and it's been a long time since I've seen you, Dionysus. 
Why, the last time I remember being around you was just before you caused the last cosmic crisis. Well, how many lifetimes have passed? How many eons has it been? And isn't it funny how the patterns always bring us back into reunion? And here we are, ready to begin again. She said, Well, I'm afraid you're wrong. I'm not Dionysus, but rather he's my teacher and guide. All I'm doing is wandering down this tree of life, because I heard that somewhere down here will be my wife and bride. Stop kidding, little brother. I'm sure you get a little lost in your madness, and that's what causes your figure to transform. I guess life must be hard as a shapeshifter, and I know the past trauma takes a toll on the mindset. But even if amnesia causes you to lose the old memories, at least the present moment is something you'll never forget. All that matters is that you're here right now, and I'm back at it with you. Oh, how beautiful unconditional love is. Because no matter what happens, our love doesn't change, regardless of what we've been through. Said Aphrodite. Unconditional love? Now what do you mean? Love without conditions is love in its purest kind. Usually people think love is when you claim a mate and hold on to them forever. But rather unconditional love surrenders once the head and heart are in line. You've got the heart of Dionysus within you. Why is it that you always seem to forget? Haven't you taken the time to reflect and meditate? Because this is precisely why we sit, said Aphrodite. Heart of Dionysus? Well, I was with Dionysus a short time ago. I swear I was just in the sphere of Tifereth, and so I can assure you, your brother is one of the friends that I do indeed know. She laughed out loud, <laughs> and how this was such a silly game. You always forget, darling. But Dionysus is your name, she said. I don't know what she was talking about, and I still wasn't sure why her arrow shot me in the chest. And ever since I got here, well, it seemed as if I'd forgotten all the rest. Where was I before that? And how had I gotten here? I do remember departing on a journey, because I did indeed learn to smile at fear. Okay, dear. I guess we'll just have to play pretend. You can think of yourself however you'd like, but I know for certain that you and I are old friends. Now what brings you here this time? Did you say you were heading back down below? It seems Earth has forgotten how to transform intellect into wisdom, which is the reason so much unconditional love dies before it ever grows. The pride of the intellect seems to overpower the heart. The source has been cut off from the land, and are you the one who's heading down for the restart? Earth will not make it if the pure source of Shakti has been cut off from above. And yet there are many open hearts on Earth, as all these people are seeking unconditional love. The light that's left is still our link, and that fire must not go out. We have to find the community who keeps the faith on Earth, and through the journey you will find what love is all about. She paused. Then what do we do? You have to link heaven and Earth, but first you need to study from me. Any warrior can wield a weapon, but the path of a sacred warrior understands that only love can set us free. She said, But that's the thing. I can't quite remember why I'm here. I know I've been doing something this whole time, because I do remember carrying a sword and smiling at fear. And wherever I've been, I got some really important lessons. I just wish I could remember what I was taught, because these teachings gave me the experience to feel all kinds of blessings. I remember having the morning star planted in my head, and before that, the mother placed the ankh in my heart. But between that, it seems the rest of my life has fallen apart. I remember to follow my bliss, and that led me to where I am now. 
I even learned how to wield a sword. And before I could finish, I heard a cat meow. Did you hear that? A sword? Did you say you were in the process of learning how to hold the blade? That's why she sent you here. Let me teach you the secrets of fearless love, which is the foundation of the warrior's trade, she said. Beyond me there were nymphs chasing a satyr, which reminded me of my old friend called Dionysus from afar. And a moment later, those creatures were tangled together where their hearts glowed like 10,000 stars. First off, you'll have to start thinking of yourself as an unemployed samurai, somewhat horrific and maybe heroic, but promise to be dependable to the spirit as I need you to remain stoic. Heroism is not the point, as our inspiration comes from non-idealism in a work of art. Instead of drinking out of a beautifully molded teacup, you'll drink out of a skull cup to start. Instead of beating a drum that is beautifully painted, you blow a horn through a thigh-bone trumpet. That is an entirely different approach to poetry or any work of art, since you are a tantric pundit. Instead of destroying the ego by poisoning, you hold the sword and sever the ego in half. This is a message of shonyata, or egolessness, and you'll use your sword to cut the ego with one big slash, said Aphrodite. The sword, and what did this otherworldly fantasy mean? Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she handed me her bow and arrow, as if it reappeared in the depths of this wild and strange dream. Let's start with the tools of bravery, as the path of fearlessness begins with the discovery of fear. Even if we're petrified by a circumstance, this ubiquitous nervousness provides a stepping stone so that we can step over what we're afraid of and arrive in the moment right here. To move from cowardice to bravery, we must take a step to cross the gap. Even if we do not discover bravery right away, our awareness can look and see past all of the pitfalls of fear's desperate traps. This shaky vulnerability contains an element of sadness, but not in the sense of feeling bad or deprived. Rather, we should feel a natural sense of fullness that is tender because this depth is what makes us feel totally alive. If a warrior does not feel sad and alone, then he or she can be corrupted easily. To be a good warrior, one can also feel rich and resourceful, which highlights our inner decency. This makes us sensitive to every aspect around us, to sights, smells, sounds, and feelings. And so we remember that every situation is workable whenever we are called to work with our dealings. In that sense, the warrior is an artist, appreciating everything and anything that goes on. Since it's all extremely vivid, you feel terribly sensitive, but do not let this delicate feeling cause your spirit to be withdrawn. Such a sensitive warrior will go far on the path of fearlessness, and there are tools that a warrior can use. The first is the development of discipline which is represented by the analogy of the sun and its light produced. Sunshine is all-pervasive. It doesn't neglect any area when it shines upon the land. And just like the spiritual soul, the sun illuminates all fellow plants, animals, women, and man. We're not talking about military rigidity, but rather we maintain openness to the environment. We constantly extend ourselves to things all around us as we stay present and absorbed in this very moment. This is the complete absence of laziness, even when what we are seeing, hearing, or perceiving becomes difficult and demanding. The warrior never gives up. Rather, we stay open to this experience and whatever is expanding. We don't withdraw, and this allows us to develop loyalty and connection to others free from fear. 
you can relate with all sentient beings who are trapped in the confused world, and so we develop warmth and compassion, just like when the sunlight first appears. The second step on the warrior's path is represented by the analogy of an echo, which is connected with meditative awareness called samadhi. Because if you let go of your discipline or indulge in mindless activity, you produce an echo that resonates into the ways a spiritual warrior does not embody. At first, the reminder of an echo might be timid, but then the second, third, and fourth time the echo grows loud. This is a reminder to be on the spot, and so we use discipline to reevaluate what action should be allowed. Becoming a warrior means that we should rise above the degraded view of confusion. This is called the setting sun concept, and this setting sun mentality is when we indulge in our selfish desires where ego choices echo through the puzzled illusions. She said, now Aphrodite raised the bow and arrow in my hand, then she looked me square in the eye. The third tool is an actual weapon, and this is what makes the warrior come alive. Here it is represented as the bow and arrow, which is connected to developing wisdom and skillful means, which means making our spirit thrive. Wisdom is discriminating awareness, which is experiencing the sharpness of sense perceptions where psychological accuracy develops and convenes. Here you are wielding that intelligence as a weapon of awareness, and you can't develop the sharpness unless some experience of egolessness has manifested for us to interpret what it means. If we find ourselves preoccupied with our own form, then we are full of ego, which is out of balance and misaligned, and so this is the training we must undergo. We should establish the connection to our spirit, rather than identify with the body or mind. We should recognize that we are all forms of basic goodness that lives within, since we are all manifestations of the divine. As we relate with the sharpness of this arrow, it becomes a weapon by the skillful means provided by this bow. Through right action, this bow allows you to harness the arrow's sharpness through our perceptions, which is based on the wisdom we've already grown. This development of discriminating awareness allows us to detect the enemy and the real enemy is one who propagates and promotes ultimate selfishness. Such enemies pull you lower into their despair, which cuts the spirit off from the source and leads to reckless behavior with negligence. In my warrior tradition, we say that you should only have to kill an enemy once every thousand years. Here we mean the real enemy, which requires a rare situation when someone must be destroyed who is completely swayed by selfishness and fear, said Aphrodite. She raised the bow into the arrow and elevated my hands standing behind me. Join the arrow of intellect with the bow of skillful means. With the sharpness of your intelligence, the arrow of intellect, you can clearly see the setting sun or any degraded tendencies in yourself or the world. Then you need to harness your insight with skillful action, which is the bow. When the arrow of intellect is joined with the bow of skillful means, you are never tempted by seductions of the setting sun world. Temptation here refers to anything that promotes ego and goes against the vision of egolessness and basic goodness. Together, the principle of the bow and arrow allows you to say no to ungenuineness, to carelessness, crudeness, or the lack of wakefulness. She said, staring off at a target in the distance, I would give it my best try. And so I shot the bow and released the arrow when I watched her insight guide me right into the bull's eye. So who is this real enemy? And who are we after? The real enemy is within us, 
It is the ego who tries to overrun the enlightened master. Don't you remember, my brother? The spiritual heart is the most important key of this entire matter. Your actions must be free from aggression, and you cannot be motivated by anger, greed, or desire for retribution. Your motivation has to be purely compassionate in order to see past the ego's delusions. Use either a sword or an arrow, whatever means you need to overpower the inner enemy. You're going to have to cut the ego away in order to fulfill our destiny. This is not like dropping bombs on people. Rather, we're trying to wake them up to the basic goodness within all life. We can look for alternatives to cure the situation, but sometimes there are none. And that is why my warriors hold a weapon like a bow and arrow or a divine knife. The path of fearlessness is connected with what we do right now, rather than waiting for a cue from somewhere else. The basic vision of warriorship is that there is basic goodness within all beings, and so this goodness exists at the very center of the spirit's highest self, said Aphrodite. Beyond this goddess was a great tree, and beside it was a sword stuck within the stone. I handed her back the bow and arrow, where I approached the rock beside her astral throne. With my two hands on the sword's handle, I felt immense pressure building up through this vivid dream. I was aware I had no physical body, and just like I envisioned, I could feel a connection to many warriors who had given up their lives so that this teaching could be redeemed. I pulled on the sword, but it felt like a key trapped in a lock. Then a moment later, Aphrodite touched my shoulder when the sword was freed from the rock. Fearlessness has a starting point. It includes discipline, making a journey, and reaching a conclusion. It is like the path of the morning star. We arise, radiate, and benefit all people by dispelling the darkness, allowing our fruit to blossom and ripen. Now the fruition of fearlessness is connected with three analogies. And the first is that fearlessness is like a reservoir of trust. This trust arises from the experience of basic goodness, which is the idea that every soul holds a source of creation as we've discussed. When we feel basically good, rather than degraded or condemned, then we become very inquisitive, looking into every situation and examining a personal connection with reality as if it's our friend. The reservoir of ultimate trust is simple. If we accept a challenge and take steps to accomplish it, then the process will yield results, either success or failure, depending if we quit. Imagine our grapevine. We sow the seeds for our tree to blossom and grow. Similarly for the inquisitive warrior, Trust means that our actions will bring a definite response from the reality we know. Trust is when we are willing to take a chance, knowing that what goes up must come down. When a warrior has that kind of trust in the reflection of the phenomenal world, then she can trust her individual discovery of goodness with whatever comes around. The fearless warrior relates with the universe not by remaining alone and insecure, but by being exposed to this phenomenal world and taking a chance to smile at our fears. This reservoir of trust is like an overflowing cup, one that never runs out of messages or signs. And the only real problem arises if we try to manipulate the situation in our favor rather than letting things naturally align. Know that success sows the seeds of future failure and failure may bring a later success. So whatever happens is an expression of a dynamic process in which we can discover tremendous trust, said Aphrodite. So what are you saying? Then it doesn't matter how anything goes? I'm saying we can relate to every experience, 
and within that, there is wisdom that helps us grow. The second analogy is music, which is connected with fearlessness being a joyful dance. The result of a warrior's practice is never a dead end, because there is always another path with opportunity, no matter if it comes through heartbreak or by a lucky chance. So while the result of action is fruition, the result is the seed for another adventure. And our journey goes on and on, cycling between success and failure before we head into another venture. No beginning and no end. And so we mimic the earth just as the seasons alternate. There is always a development of creativity. And so our journey becomes a workable and joyful state. And why are we so joyful? We are guided on a path by the discipline of the sun, the echo, and the bow and arrow or sword. We have witnessed our basic goodness and we find joy in having no favored result to cling to, and so the journey is our reward. And whatever the situation brings, we discover an unconditional love with good understanding. And so the moment becomes like music, which has rhythm and melody that is constantly expanding. This is a sense of celebration, as music is the celebration of sound. Let us dance to the melody of our adventure through all of life's ups and downs, she said. Somewhere in my mind I heard music, why, yes, this was a magical flute. Was that boy hiding in the forest somewhere? But all I could see were the trees and plants ripening along the grapevine's magical fruit. Having developed trust and appreciation, it is time to conquer fear, which is connected to the analogy of a saddle. We must develop a good sense of mental balance, because if we become mindless, we forget how to trust the experience and our mental narratives turn into a giant battle. Whether we overreact or exaggerate, the saddle is the seat we position ourselves in with trust and joy. No need to be startled at whatever may arise. We are right where we need to be, and so we sit in the saddle where the journey can be enjoyed. You belong right here. You are one of the warriors always going forward on your own unique way. And even if unexpected things happen or something goes wrong, we welcome each moment and say, good morning, good morning, what a joyful new day! Conquering fear is not based on blocking sensitivity, otherwise we become deaf and dumb. Sitting on the saddle of this horse requires balance, and when we are balanced, we become aware of how fast our horse can run. This horse is like riding along the wind, and you'll feel completely gentle and exposed. And if you feel yourself becoming aggressive, then you don't have a good seat in your saddle because your awareness is becoming closed. Riding a horse is like a dance. It's like uniting with someone else's mind. It requires complete connection to work with the other being, and it is mastered with the compassion of being connected and kind. Often when someone tells us not to be afraid, we think they're saying not to worry or that everything will be okay. But unconditional fearlessness is based on being awake and aware of what the present moment is trying to convey. Once you have command of the situation, Fearlessness is unconditional because you are not caught on failure or success. Rather, these are part of the journey, and this journey is the path you can trust. Even if you become so petrified on your journey that your teeth, eyes, hands, and legs all start to shake, even if you are practically levitating with fear, remember that all this fear helps us appreciate the basic goodness within us, which is only trying to teach us how to be sane and awake, said Aphrodite. She took a moment of silence to come beside me while holding those arrows beside the bow. With the sword in my hand, 
I tried to interpret all these new ideas that Aphrodite seemed to know. My dearest brother, I know this might seem like a lot, but at the end of this teaching, all you'll ever know is everything you've got. That's why this next part is the most important. I want to teach you how to join heaven and earth, and once you do, you'll have a sense of appreciation to see what all of life is worth. You'll find the magic in the moment, and that's what we've always been connected back to. It doesn't matter what happened before or what's still to come, because the moment continues on in spite of whatever we're going through," said Aphrodite. But why do you insist on calling me your brother? You know I'm not him. I was with your brother before, as he was with me when this journey did begin. It all seems like a daydream, or maybe I've lost my mind. But I am not Dionysus. He is the sacrifice one, and I am simply not of his kind. She tapped the ankh within me, and this time I saw myself change. The thing I thought I was was no longer somebody, and my somebodyness had been rearranged. Maybe you can't see it now, but I only see what's within the heart. The light of your soul comes from the source of God. That means you and Christ have never been apart," said Aphrodite.